Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. The word of the Lord. Some people only care about themselves. No one cares about your stupid vacation. Some people treat others poorly. Do with the anarchy. There's certain things that are right and there's certain things that are wrong. So don't believe what is foolishness. Some people only care about being right. There are Some people don't seem worth the time. But the truth is... Most people are just working to get by. Most people are terrified to reveal their scars. Most people are fighting an invisible battle. Most people are worth the effort because all people are created in the image of God. All people carry the glow of the divine. All people matter enough. For God to become one of them. God thinks every person is worthy of love. Imagine if we did too. Let's be a church where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible. Good morning, everyone. Hey, uh, beautiful weekend. Glad you're here with us this morning. Um, sorry about the projector, just on the one side. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, we'll get that checked out this week. 
There's a sermon outline that should be located in your Sunday news this morning. I hope you have it and you can follow. If you have your Bible, if you'd follow with as well. And if you're a guest this morning, we're in a study of the letter to the Ephesians. In fact, I think we've just reached the halfway mark. Uh, we've come to the place in Paul's writing where there is a, a hinge. There's a hinge. Paul has a style of writing in which he shifts from the doctrinal uh, to the practical. And in Romans, if you remember, the hinge is uh, chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul swings the door uh, from doctrinal to practical, from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. And uh, in Galatians, uh, you find the hinge in chapter 5 and verse 1. And in Colossians, there's another hinge, and it's in chapter 3 and verse 1. And in the letter that we're studying, uh, Ephesians, we come to the uh, hinge here in chapter 4. And uh, Paul opens the door on the reason why he has spent so much time in the first three chapters uh, informing us of the sovereignty of God, uh, the bringing down of the wall between Jews and Gentiles, the calling of God in our lives, the fact that we have been foreordained to know him. Uh, and now it becomes all about how we're going to live this out in a very practical way. What are you going to do about it? Uh, so chapter 4 marks the shift of moving from the vertical uh, to the horizontal. The living out of our relationship with God uh, on a very uh, practical level. Now, there's just one point I want to make this morning. Not saying it will take a short time to make it, but uh, there's just one point, really, that we want to make, and it's uh, from the text, and it's, it's the importance of being in harmony with one another as we travel this road together. Uh, it flows out of the urging of Paul to lead a life worthy of our calling. Uh, so it's a beautiful passage. Uh, thank you for reading it this morning, Lara. Uh, it's a wonderful passage. It, it breaks our hearts when we see a church that for one reason or another fragments and splits into many pieces. For those who have gone through it, that kind of division, you know the pain and no one is ever a winner when that happens. And the toll that it takes upon those who go through this is beyond words to express. As we look back and say with deep regret, oh, how hard that was, and oh, how energy depriving. It takes our strength, it takes our joy, it takes our fo fo focus, and it hurts relationships, and it destroys trust. So no one ever wins when disunity resides in a body. So we're just going to say what the text says and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us uh, those things that are on our Father's heart. So first of all, character is high priority in unity. Character is high priority in unity. Verse 1 sets the stage, Therefore... There's, there's the hinge always with the word therefore. And you've probably heard it a hundred times. When you have the word therefore, 
you want to take special note of what the word is there for. It, it's the hinge to the previous teaching. And now Paul's going to get more, much more pointed and he's going to get much more practical. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Uh, he reminds his listeners that he is a prisoner for serving the Lord. Uh, and he doesn't even mention Rome. Uh, remember again that this letter uh, is uh, written uh, to Ephesus from the city of Rome where Paul was awaiting trial uh, before the emperor on charge of inciting riots. And those charges had been trumped up against him by the Jews in Jerusalem. And being in limbo for about two years as a prisoner in Caesarea, he had been sent at last on a very perilous sea voyage, which ended in shipwreck, as you recall. But at last he arrived in Rome. And there he lived in a home chained to a Roman guard day and night. He was the personal prisoner of Nero. But he never refers to himself as the prisoner of Caesar or of Nero. He saw beyond the chains... And he saw beyond the guard, he saw to the controlling hand of Jesus Christ behind all of these things. And that's, a, that's an awesome perspective to come to that point. He did not fret about being in prison, being chained, being so limited. Read his letter to the Philippians written in this prison relationship and you'll find that it's, written, it's filled with joy and filled with triumph and the assurance that all is well. For the apostle looked behind the visible things to the invisible things. Oh, that the Lord would teach us that. So from prison, he recognizes that he really is a prisoner for Jesus. He's a prisoner for Jesus, and he's glad to be a prisoner for serving the Lord because he knew that God could do his work whether he was cuffed or not. God works beyond human limitations. And that's an awesome perspective. That's why as you come to a place in your life, perhaps where you're more limited with your energy or your strength or your situation, uh, whatever it has come to visit you, uh, that, that, however, never restricts God from working through you. Your limitations are not his limitations because it's not all about you. It's about being someone whom God can flow through in our fragile clay containers. And it's amazing what God will do, even if we're about to write ourselves off and say, oh, I just can't do that anymore. I just don't have the energy for that. Or I don't have the strength. I can't do that. God can. Uh, God works beyond your limitations. And he writes, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. So the words, the verbs get translated in different words, but they're all really amounting to the same thing, reading uh, from different translations, I implore you, uh, or I urge you, or I exhort you, or King James, I beseech you. Uh, the New Living Translation says, I beg you. Uh, a lot of urgency in that word, I beg you. Uh, you might be reading a version that says walk, like the English Standard Version. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Isn't that a great word? Uh, to walk. Actually, for us, 
uh, on the Christian journey, it's a very helpful word when we wonder if we can walk with the Lord. Aren't you glad it doesn't say a mad dash? Aren't you glad it doesn't say uh, uh, climb the highest mountain? Or aren't you glad it doesn't say uh, move into the marathon of misery of trying to keep up with what God is doing and he's just exhausting me? And I don't have it. I don't have the energy. No, Paul says, I urge you to walk. Just take one step at a time. Just put one foot in front of another. Just walk it out. Just walk it out. And when you say walk, it just sounds a whole lot more manageable to me. To walk how? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. We've been trying to pick up on that in our uh, uh, vision statement for uh, TCC and Southwest. Uh, passionately, are, we envision everyone passionately walking with Jesus in order to joyfully serve others. And, you know, when I look at that statement, I just see hundreds of people, uh, arms uh, linked together, were passionately walking with Jesus in order to joyfully serve other people. It's a great photo. It's a vital vision. So for three chapters, Paul has been emphasizing the calling. We've been called by God the Father who initiated the plan of salvation. We've been called by Christ who, who implemented the plan. He was the one who came to this planet. And we have been called and sealed by the Holy Spirit who empowered the plan, who enabled the plan. So we've all been called and God has chosen us. Well, it always amazes me. Before the foundation of the world, the first chapter of Ephesians, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, now in light of all of that, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I want you to lead a life worthy of your calling. The word worthy is the word axios, which has the root idea of weight. We get our word axiom from that word. I want you to uh, lead a life worthy uh, so, uh, of, of your calling. So it's an, in an equation, the, an axiom indicates doing something <clears throat> to each side of the equation to balance them out. Paul is saying we should walk worthy, that's that, this side of the occasion, uh, equation, <clears throat> equal to the great blessings described in chapters 3, 1 to 3. <clears throat> One person put it this way, Christ has done so much for me, the rest of my life is a P.S. of his great work. Amen? Amen. Christ has done so much for me, the rest of my life is just a P.S. of his great work. Yes, for all, after all he's done for me, I have to balance it out. I don't mean I have to pay for what he's done for me. I could never do that. But I mean live out the part of the equation where I can do my part, where I can be obedient to my calling. And that living out of my calling is a first step to unity. 
Now, we have five words that are critical for living a life worthy of our calling. And they're real obvious in the text. You can't miss them. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. The New American Standard Bible says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, John Stott calls these the five uh, foundational stones of Christian unity, and I think they are. If we have have these in place, if we have these in place in verse 2, we will never split a church. If these are the bedrock of our lives, our home groups will be healthy. Our small groups will be healthy, healthy, and they will be prosperous, and they will be strong. And any ministry that you're part of, including your family, will be together and connected. Even if there are differences, which there will be, it won't distract from unity. So the first one is humility. Always be humble and gentle. Always be humble and gentle. If you want to be a leader in today's world, uh, it's not exactly the normal route to choose to put Christ first, others second, and self last. I mean, who in the world would ever suggest that? The ancient world, as well as the modern world, holds up the importance of self-sufficiency, self-assured, in control of all things, rather than lowliness. So if you were the king, you always acted like you were the king. You were in charge. It was degrading to be humble. The words from the king were always, bow the knee, bow the knee. That's the mark of a real man or woman. In charge. Show them who's boss. And then along came Christ. And he lived so countercultural. His approach to life was vastly different from the norm. He was humble of heart. And not, not to be ego, but Jesus even described himself that way. If you remember Matthew eleven twenty nine, you'll recognize it when I read it. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. Uh, and, and who is he? He is God. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And that was the temperament of Jesus Christ, humble and gentle. The very same words that Paul uses in Ephesians 4 Words that are so essential for unity, humble and gentle. By the way, humility isn't a living doormat. Don't let anybody ever tell you that. I will just stomp all over you. No, no. That's not Christ's definition of humility. Rather, it's a lowliness of mind towards one's own merit. It's not me first, it's Jesus first, others second, and myself third. We're told that Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher of yesterday, had a pastor friend uh, who wrote the book entitled, Come Unto Jesus. And when he published it and it came out on the market, another pastor wrote an article ridiculing the book. At first it kind of jolted this guy, this pastor that had written the book, and he kind of suffered in silence. And then as the criticism began to increase and gained wider prominence, the resentment and the rage 
uh, came to this pastor and it was nearly uncontainable. He wrote an angry response to the critical uh, article filled with hatred and uh, spite. He said some ugly things that this pastor would have never said under any other circumstances, but he had had it. Before he mailed the response, however, he showed it to Spurgeon and asked him whether he ought to mail it or not. After reading the letter, Spurgeon answered, by all means, by all means, mail it. But first of all, beneath your signature write, by the author of, come unto Jesus. (laughs) The response went unmailed. Humility. The second one is gentleness. Gentleness and humility are cousins. Humility is an attitude of mind. Gentleness is the manifestation of humility. It's the outward working of a humble spirit. It's strength under control. It's actually the picture of a wild horse that's now under control. The horse has been broken and uh, tamed and is now useful. Before it was just a bucking bronc, but now you can mount the horse, you can ride the horse, and it will work with you. So you could ask the question, is a horse any less strong once it is broken? No, it's every bit as strong as it ever was, but now the strength is under control. When was the last time you met a strong, powerful leader who was humble and gentle? They're out there, of course, but they're the exception rather than the rule. And when you get to talk to them, you see how gracious they are, how inviting they are, how willing they are to listen to you and really hear you. And it's really quite amazing to talk to women and men who are strong, well-recognized leaders, but, but they have a gentle spirit. Want to know how to have unity in the church? Gentleness. Strength under control. Gentleness in our actions and in our responses and in our words in order to keep the unity of the body. Well, the next one is patience. Be patient with each other. And I have to say, this is one of the most crucial character qualities in maintaining unity in the body. Patience. Patience. When unity is broken, it's usually because of trying to work with some disappointing frustrating and sometimes offensive people. And patience is exercising humility and gentleness in the midst of people who are pushing every button you've got. And you are about to launch a barrage of missiles into their backyard. You can hardly wait to do it. And the last thing you want to be is patient. You know what I mean. Patience takes time to nurture. It was so helpful to the police officer in Toronto last Tuesday in this terrible tragedy on the streets of Toronto. The headline in the news was, The Officer officer Exercised Patience. Remarkably, that moment ended peacefully. After this minute-long standoff, the officer finally persuaded the man to lie down on the ground, put his arms behind his back, and he cuffed him. The officer's remarkable restraint in this back-and-forth 
kind of dialogue left some American law enforcement analysts shocked, if you were following on CNN. They were so amazed that he didn't shoot him. There's a little word that we're just getting familiar with these days to help us when we're ready to lose it on somebody. Uh, it might be helpful to any one of us one day. It might be worth taking note of this little acronym. It's called STAR. STAR. And it represents uh, a process of action. S stands for stop. When you're out of, when you're out of patience and you're panicking, for whatever reason, being afraid or being angry, first stop. We don't function well when we're on the edge. Just stop. Don't email it. Don't text it. Don't even mail it. Don't use the telephone. Stop. T stands for take a breather and calm down. Become still and quiet. Be still and know that I'm God. A is appreciate and connect to Jesus. Uh, enter God's presence. Begin to worship him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Begin to renew that relationship with, with, with Jesus. And then R, respond. Now, now you're ready to respond in faith. This might be a day later, two days later, a week later. Who knows? Respond in faith and love and do the right thing. Obey the direction you receive from the Lord. The process star could save you tons of pain. Patience. I smiled. The Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov uh, commented about how Americans are in such a, a hurry. So he was cracking jokes and he joked about what he found in American grocery stores. He said, on my first shopping trip to America, he said, I, I saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. He said, then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder. <laughs> yeah. And I thought to myself, what a country. Instant babies? No, not even in North America. Babies aren't made with just adding water to powder. It doesn't work that way. But it's true. We expect to have our wishes and our needs satisfied immediately. We want it now. There's an old story of the judge who questioned the prisoner. He said, what are you charged with? He, and, the, and the guy that was charged said, I was doing my Christmas shopping early. Well, the judge said, that's not an offense. Uh, how early were you doing your shopping? Well, the guy said, uh, before the store opened? You mean like a break-in? Yes, like a break-in. Patience. It's not something we're good at. Patience takes time to nurture, especially in our impatient world. But patience is one of the keys in the maintaining of the unity. Oh, to be patient with one another. To stop. To wait. Not to respond too quickly. Because then the other person responds right back. Fourthly, tolerance. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Humility leads to gentleness. 
which results in patience and tolerance. Oh, and friends, tolerance in our day has become a little bizarre, don't you think? Now we're prone to tolerate just about everything that comes our way. And if you happen to have a conviction about something, you're intolerant. That's ridiculous. Christ had the strongest, deepest set of convictions you would ever see in any human being. He was clear and upfront, but yet what you observe about him was he was the most gracious individual with sinners, never making demands on them that were inappropriate. But he had a conviction. He was full of conviction. The issue is really, how do you state your convictions? Do you put someone in a corner and say, you're wrong? Or do you say, here's where I stand on the issue, and I know that we might not be together on this issue, but I treat you with great dignity. I treat you with great respect, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Now we can talk. That brings unity. That prevents conflict from tearing apart a church. The enemy would love to divide the body of Christ. He is working hard in these areas these days. We need to wisely move into these areas so as to keep the unity of the body. Some of our issues would diminish if we lowered the guns and the rhetoric and understood that we don't all line up on the same page. Paul is actually saying make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Tolerant people reach out with love and understanding and forgiveness and sympathy. They treat each other with grace, letting others grow with Christ in different ways and at different paces. And a little bit of grace goes an awful long ways. Tolerance, making allowance for one another in our journey, is so important for the unity of the body of Christ. And then the fifth one is love, love. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I remember the second Sunday after being called to serve our first church in the Ottawa Valley. The first Sunday was a blur. The second Sunday, I could actually look out, see all these people. And I looked out as a 26-year-old feeling very inadequate for the task. And I was sitting in the pastor's chair in those days. They had, they had pastor's chairs lined up. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. And you're sitting in one of these little thrones. It was like, oh my. Uh, but we don't do that anymore. And it's much more comfortable to sit down below and then come up to speak. And I looked out and I saw this congregation and I felt, what could I ever possibly give them from my life? And how in the world will I ever lead them anywhere? And the Lord just whispered to me. I just remember. Just love them. Just love them. You don't have to have a magic formula. Just love them. And it was one of those moments that God used to strengthen my fearful heart. Because love is what builds Unity in a church. Just love one another. And here it is in 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. And I knew as a young pastor, 
I'm probably going to have my share that need to be covered by love. And love, of course, is right at the top of, of those foundational stones for the building of unity. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Oh, and did you notice we don't have to create the unity? The Holy Spirit is the one who brings unity to his body. But we have responsibility for maintenance. We're all on maintenance duty. That's our responsibility. We are to keep united. And friends, when a, when a church is united, it's obvious to everyone. When a church is not united, you can pick up the vibes in that church, even if you don't know the story. You just can pick up the vibes. God uses a church that has unity. He blesses it. He advances it. He empowers it. And look at the, look at the diversity in the church. Just like diversity among humankind. There's not one of us that looks alike. Our bodies are built differently. Our minds all think differently. Uh, our giftedness is diverse. Some are mathematical and some are artsy and some are musical and some are athletic. I mean, we're all different. Those who are part of the body are different. We come in from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have all kinds of different life experiences, different training, <clears throat> different, different experiences uh, through our growing up years. And here we are together, but together in Christ, together in the Spirit. And in the midst of all of this diversity, we find unity. It's amazing. Come on, can I hear an amen? Oh, i say it again. i got to have it a little louder. Amen. Oh, now we're talking. So the admonition from Paul, make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit. United in the Spirit. Secondly, the origin of Christian unity. Just getting on to your second point. This won't take too long. For there's one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Paul gives us uh, seven pillars, which our practical unity, our practical unity can be built upon. It's what God has already done. I'm not going to take the time to flesh them all out, but just to list them. One body. One body. We are not ten different bodies. We are one body, Jews and Gentiles, all the nations of the earth, rich and poor, young and old, male and female. There are not many churches, when it all comes down to it, there is one church. We're just one body. We're one spirit. There are not different Holy Spirits for different people and for different groups. There's only one Holy Spirit. And he indwells each of us equally, and he gifts us according to his will. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one hope of our calling. We may view some parts of the Christian faith differently. Maybe we don't, don't all agree on baptism. Maybe we don't all agree on the second coming of Christ. Yet we all share a common hope, and that's the hope of eternal life. So we have to get used to living together here in this planet 
because we're going to spend eternity together. So we have one hope, one hope of our calling. We have one Lord. We all share the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We love him. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We value beyond words his death on the cross for us and his resurrection. We have one Lord, one Lord. We have one faith, one body of essential Christian truth. They are the core essentials of the Christian faith. The Trinity, the person and work of Jesus Christ, salvation, Christ's return. One faith, one faith, one baptism. And this is no doubt a reference not to water baptism, but to the baptism of the Spirit. We've been baptized into the body of Christ. Like Jolene said this morning, we are one big family. And we, we, we want to get used to using the word we. It's not I. It's, it's, it's the family of God. The Spirit has brought us into the family of God. And then one God and Father. We are all personally loved by a generous Father. God is over all and through all and in all. And that's true when, that God is working over all of our relationships. He's working through the relationships that we have and we live together in community. So the seven pillars are the powerful foundation of God's plan for unity. You know why this is easy for me to preach this morning? Because out of God's grace and favor, he's blessed us with unity. It's no badge for us. It's just such a beautiful gift. Should we ever take that for granted? Never, never, never. Verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Paul has given us the tools right in these verses. We're going to have differences of thought. Of course we are. We're going to have different convictions. Of course we are. That's not really what was concerning Paul. He just wanted his friends in Ephesus to not get caught in the stuff that kept them from their calling. He says, I want you to lead a life worthy of your calling. So it's so good to be part of the family. And maybe I would just say as we close, if you've been hurt in belonging to the body of Christ, all I can say is I'm, I'm sorry. The enemy's greatest weapons uh, are discouragement and depression. And he would love to keep twisting situations so that we can't find our full potential in Christ. Don't give him that edge. Don't give him that edge. Listen closely to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you for next steps. He wants you to lead a life filled with joy, filled with hope. You may be here this morning and, and uh, you've considered coming into the family of God. You've considered giving your life to Jesus Christ. He wants you to come. He invites you this morning if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Uh, invite him uh, to come into your life. Just say, Lord, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord. I want you to live in my life. I want to be part of the family of God. I want to be on a journey with you. 
I want to know you. Just ask him to come into your life and, and he will do that. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we're honored this morning that you've called each one of us Uh, we pray that our lives would be equal to what we know according to those first three chapters of Ephesians. Father, we thank you for the church that it was your idea. You knew from the very beginning that this would be the way in which you would communicate your love to a world. So we're so appreciative of your church, Father, and that Jesus is the head of the body the head of the church. Father, we love the church. We love the church that you've given to us. Uh, we thank you for our wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ with such great diversity. You gave us unity, Lord. Oh, help us to keep it. Help us to keep it. We love you, our Father. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We give thanks for the awesome work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we will be strong in you as we journey with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everyone said, Amen.